Welcome in to Farscast. Uh, hope you guys are doing well. Uh, quick turnaround here, doing a second podcast. It's been a while since I've done uh, a, a podcast with two people. If you guys missed the last episode with Jimmy Chavez, Kansas Jayhawks sports announcer, go check out his work. A lot of great stories with Jimmy, his path to uh, getting to where he is as the announcer for women's basketball for the Kansas Jayhawks. Really good stuff from Jimmy. And opportunities that have opened up for him even during this pandemic. So get, check out that podcast. I'm very excited for this podcast now as we move forward. Uh, I've been a fan of this guy's uh, show for a long time. Uh, enjoy reading his tweets. Enjoy listening to his radio show over at ESPN Radio. Freddie Coleman, longtime ESPN Radio host here with me on Farscast. Freddie, it's an honor, man. Thanks for coming on. Honors all mine, Farzine. How are you today, my friend? Oh, I'm good, man. Good. Uh, you and I, we were talking a little bit before we uh, went live and recorded. Uh, you've been with ESPN Radio since 2004. You've done, uh, you you do a great job. And I know ESPN Radio recently went through a, a big change. A lot of people going in and out. Um, a lot of people changing time slots as well. I'm really happy you're still uh, with the company. Um, regardless of time slot, I'd still listen. But Man, you've been there for a long time. What is it like working with uh, the company over at ESPN and ESPN Radio? Uh, Farzine, it's still amazing that I've been there almost 17 years this June. And it seems like I just walked through the door yesterday to have a chance to audition to be a part of the ESPN Radio Network and the ESPN family. And I still get a kick out of what I do. And I know in our business, a lot of things can make you very jaded. It can make you very cynical, whether you're doing it on a national level or a local level. But I still get a jazz of opening up that microphone and hanging out with Ian Fitzsimmons and my producer, Chris Mitchell, and having a chance to do what we do and enjoy what we do. So it hasn't lessened. It hasn't gotten boring. It hasn't gotten bad. And even a day that has not been good, it's a lot better than a lot of people's other days out there that may be pretty good. Yeah. Well, you know, and I'm sure you've heard the criticism over the years uh, before you got to ESPN and even no more with social media. It's like, because a lot of people uh, follow a lot of the commentators that are on ESPN TV, and sometimes people don't like some of the commentary they say or they're too biased and whatnot. And my response is I feel like a lot of times, and I think some of the criticisms fair, on TV, you're on a very strict time limit. You can't spend so much time on a topic, whereas with radio, I enjoy listening to you and a lot of other people uh, on national talk radio shows because radio is a better medium to have longer discussions, these kinds of things. Do you kind of feel that way, especially with certain topics where you don't have a producer on TV telling you, hey, you got to be out in 30 seconds. You have a longer period of time to talk about some some discussions. Yeah, as far as you know, I've always been a big fan of radio from just what you said from that standpoint. And TV is a different medium. There's no doubt about that. There are different forms of intimacy when it comes to TV and when it comes to radio. But radio is more intimate than TV because the first time you see somebody, that's what you're going to see. Before you even hear what they have to say, before you hear their voice or hear their inflection, you see their face. And more often than not, it's going to be a line to be a face that's going to be very pleasant and very inviting. But on radio, you have to have people leaning in to hear what you have to say and diving into things and having a chance to stretch out when it comes to that. That's why people always wonder, did I ever want to make more of a move into TV? And I said, I would not have minded that, but I would not be having as much fun as I do from the radio side, because I grew up as a radio head, as a kid in New York City, where radio DJs, they were more entertainers to me than actual entertainers and actual athletes. And I never thought far as seen in a million years, I would be doing something that I heard people time and time again, doing each and every night when I was growing up as a kid in New York. So you're exactly right from our art form, our medium form, 
we know what the kind of intimacy that we bring to the table. And we have a lot more fun, in my opinion, on radio than they do on TV. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know. Uh, I don't think ESPN radio has like a number you can text in. I, I don't think they do. But I know uh, some local shows here in Kansas City, some sp- sports talk shows, they do have a text uh, a number you can text into. And that does make it even easier with Twitter. It's easy to do now because you can retweet from people. Uh, right. you, you read a tweet of mine once several years ago. Yep. I told you I told you the Kansas City Royals are making hell freeze. I still remember that. <laughs> uh, those were some good times for Kansas City baseball, too, of course. Um uh, I want to talk about you and your path to ESPN Radio. We know you've been there for a long time, but what about before that? Uh, where were you and what did it take to get to where you are? Because a lot of people, you know, it, it's a very tough industry. I just had a guest uh, before you, Jimmy Chavez. We talked about how tough it is, that path to get there. Uh, everyone wants to go to, you know, ESPN Radio or Sirius XM, Fox Sports Radio, wherever. Uh, what do you got to do to get there? Boy, that's a really great question because you can find any kind of path and that may not be the path that can lead you to where you want to be or where you want to go. I tell people all the time, if you continue to do what you do, you just never know who's out there listening. And I know I'm a prime example of that because before I got the ESPN radio, I'd been a program director. I'd been a music director. I worked in top 40 radio. I worked in classic rock radio. I worked in classic soul radio. Never thinking, far as seen in a million years, I'd be doing sports talk radio, even though I love the format, I love the genre when it came down to it. And a buddy of mine in Albany, I was still doing music radio, and a buddy of mine in Albany wanted to get out of music radio and wanted to do a sports talk radio show. And he wanted to do it with me because we had that kind of friendship and that kinship from that standpoint. So I didn't know exactly where that was going to go, but I felt if this was my way in and I could really work well with him, we could really do some really good things in Albany because that's a wonderful radio market. It's a wonderful TV market. Even though they don't have a pro team, they really rally around different teams, whether it's the Red Sox and Yankees in baseball, the Celtics and the Knicks in basketball. There are a lot of Packers fans and Cowboys fans in Albany mm-hmm. in addition to Jets, Patriots, and Giants fans. So it's a really cool market to work in. And I said, if I could be able to set a foothold there, then I could really branch out my career, even though it's not a major market but has major tendencies. And I was doing that show for about three months before ESPN Radio got in touch with me because Jason Barrett was the producer of Game Night, and I knew him from before. And he said, I think you'd be really good at Game Night if you want to come down and audition. And for at first I said, man, I just got to Albany. I'm establishing myself. But I said, opportunities like these, when they come around, you can't just turn away from them. You need to explore that as much as you possibly can and see exactly where that's going to go. And I said to myself, what if I talked myself out of that? Somebody else would have gotten that opportunity. Who knows? Not saying my career would have been unfulfilled, but I would not be where I'm at right now. So the lesson is you, you never know who's listening. You don't know what kind of path there's going to be until you actually go down that path. And when an opportunity comes along, do not turn away from it because you just never, ever know where that's going to lead. It could be something you never thought of, Farzine, that you wanted to be a part of or something that you think you could not be able to accomplish or have the opportunity to do so. But when it comes along, it doesn't matter if it's ESPN Radio, Fox Sports Radio, or even local radio, you get that chance to get your foot in the door. You should take that opportunity and see exactly where it's going to take you or where you're going to take it. Uh, there's a comment uh, on the Facebook page. Uh, and by the way, we're, we're of course, uh, live on the Facebook. If you're listening at, if you're not listening live, you can go back to Facebook or even YouTube. Check out these uh, podcast guests that I have on there. If you're listening to the podcast version, uh, Ryan commented and said, Freddie is the only tolerable voice on ESPN. Uh, and, 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 you know, I, obviously that's a compliment, but, uh, you know, to kind of back up what he's saying, uh, 
I feel like, you know, uh, and there are a lot of personalities that want to, uh, I, I mean, there are a lot of personalities that a lot of people just can't get behind sometimes, but I feel like a lot of people can connect with you on a personal level. How do you do that? Uh, that's a great question. I, I tell people all the time, you should be the best who and you that you are, because it can be very easy to be influenced by anybody that you listen to or anybody that you follow, but you shouldn't worry about or think about being the second or third person. You should always be the best first person you. So I don't know if it's a particular skill level that I've had. Farsine, I never really thought about it. I just always let people know, no matter what you think of me, what you believe, what you don't want to believe from me, you're always going to get me. You're always going to get 100% me. And there are going to be plenty of times that I'm going to say something that you're going to say, come on, Freddie, really? But yeah. you never should ever question that it's not coming from a credible place and that it's not coming from my heart, not coming from my soul. There are plenty of people out there, and I get it. You want to have hot take radio and hot take TV, and those things work in a simple in, in, in simple doses, for lack of a better term. But at the same time, I've always believed that a hot take can come from you, and it doesn't have to be something where it's bells and whistles. It's just something that comes out of you and what you believe based on facts and based on truth. So if people feel that way about me, because I always want to make sure that I want to invite people in. I don't want anybody to ever feel that they can't be a part of what we do, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's what you call in on the show, or even just listening. It's our show together. And I don't want people to feel that a conversation is going to be over their head. And if a conversation is over their head, then I'm not doing a good, a good job of explaining exactly what we're talking about and why we believe we can sink our teeth into it and bring our perspective and our person to whatever that's going on. You know, it, it's on my bucket plate, uh, bucket list of places to visit. I've always wanted to see the ESPN campus all over in Bristol. Can you just kind of give us an idea? I mean, I've never even been in that part of the region before in my life, but can you kind of give us an idea? What is the, the campus like there? I tell people all the time, and I wanted to make this a slogan for ESPN Radio, and it got shot down by the bosses for good reason. ESPN Radio, it beats working. And they said, no, you can't put that out there. You put that out there. That could be off-putting to people. But it is, it is a fun place to be, Farzine, because it is a college campus because we have different buildings where we have the main building for Sports Center and other shows that go on in there. We also have the radio building where we are. We have a podcast building. We have offices here. We have offices there. So it looks like a college campus. They call it Bristol University at times because it has that kind of feel that you drive into the main gate and you're on the campus of ESPN, ESPN Radio, ESPN.com, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera, et cetera. So I tell anybody, once the pandemic is over, we're allowed to have tours again, find a way to have a chance to be where we are, because I've had a chance to bring family members and friends, and they're just amazed of all this going on in little Bristol, Connecticut, because it's not Hartford, it's not New Haven, it's not Boston, it's not New York. And also, and this is one of the cool things for Arzine about our place. You just never know who you're going to run into because one of my best friends is Keith Irizarry, does a great job at the hospital communications department in their program. And he and his wife and two boys came for a campus tour. And I took them everywhere, took them to the sports center set, took them to the radio studios. And Chris Berman happened to be there that day because normally he's not in the business, in the building because he's doing other things and he's semi-retired, but he just happened to be there to do something. And he could not have been more genuine because it wasn't fake. It wasn't planned. That's just how he is. And Keith and his wife and his two sons could not believe that they were in the presence of Chris Berman. 
those kind of things usually happen a lot in our buildings. You just never know who's going to be roaming the hallways or roaming the studios. So if you ever get a chance, once the pandemic allows us to have what we used to have to a different level, of course, because the landscape is different, yeah. find your way there, find a way to be a part of the tour. Believe me, it is really a cool place to see and it's a great place to work. That's awesome. That's really cool to hear. Uh, you know, I want to talk about more uh, about your career with ESPN and maybe some of the things that you've enjoyed covering on there. But you mentioned the pandemic. I kind of want to talk about that because, boy, I still remember 12 months ago, man, um, yeah. we had no idea what the hell we were in store for. And, uh, you know, I, I'm a huge NFL guy. Um, I'm also a huge UFC fan. And and, and yeah, I love SiriusXM, by the way, which ESPN Radio is a part of. I mean, I'll listen to... A lot of different channels, even some of the non-sports channels. Um, yeah. I always take advantage of those uh, of those channels. There, I still remember by the hour. I mean, things were just falling apart. The tournament, NCAA tournament, and the NBA. Uh, those announcements were the first ones. I still remember, you know, switching channels and hearing different kinds of coverage. Can you just go back to twelve months ago and talk to us about what that was like, having to just talk about? all these different stories dropping left and right by the minute. It was the weirdest thing for us I'd ever been a part of because we understood that COVID-19 was going to affect sports, but nobody could have anticipated that. And nobody could have anticipated COVID-19 and this pandemic really grabbing a hold on the world inside and outside of sports. So I guess we were always thinking, okay, we got to deal with this now, but at a certain point, things are going to come back. It's going to be maybe a month from now, maybe two weeks from now. We had a different timeline in mind. And as we've been able to find out and figure out COVID-19, a pandemic, they don't pay attention to timelines. They're not trying to read a script and say, okay, on this day, we'll leave you alone. This is going to change the landscape. It will continue to change our landscape inside and outside of sports. And just going back to those days with Rudy Gobert, what he did with the microphones, and as you mentioned, everything being shut down, the SEC tournament, then the Big 12 tournament, then the Big East tournament, then the ACC tournament, we all said, man, oh, man, this is really, really serious to the point that there's not going to be an NCAA tournament. Yeah. And it was really hard to come to grips with that. And then the NBA, they said, we're shutting down operations. But the one thing we always said, okay, there are going to be storylines out there that we have to pay attention to. And there are going to be storylines out there that really should get more top of the mind awareness. So that's where we decided to align our shows. And we tried to find different ways of talking about sports during the pandemic. And then once the pandemic slowed down a little bit, how sports are going to be affected. I think a big part was whatever was going on in the world, we didn't ignore it. For example, when The Last Dance came on the documentary about the last championship of the Chicago Bulls, that was must-see TV, but it became must-hear radio because for so many people, we remember those days. And for those who didn't remember, this was a first time for them seeing exactly what the fuss was all about with Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. And we're able to branch off and take different things from that. For example, Kenny Lattimore, the singer, that was the song that Michael Jordan played by him all the time. We got in touch with him. He came on our show to talk about how things have increased him sales-wise because of that. So we were able to find different ways to spin sports forward because we kept having it in our minds, Farzine, that a day was going to come when live sports was going to be here. But it got to the point that we said to ourselves, well, we don't know when that day is going to happen. We don't know when that minute is going to happen. But we better make sure we provide content not only for people out there listening, but for ourselves to talk about and be engaged with people out there who want to listen to it or may not have known about things that they could not have had any kind of reason to think about even before everything happened. Well, I was actually going to ask you that next is, you know, 
uh, having worked in sports radio for a little bit, um, I, I was thinking about, you know, people in the media, like, what are you going to do? Did you ever have, I know you elaborated on this, but when that moment hit with the NBA and the following day, the NHL, and we heard uh, that you mentioned the tournament, baseball players, they, they all went home. Did you have a moment where you thought, what are we going to, what are we going to do? Did you guys have to have a big meeting? Uh, I mean, with everyone at the station and how did you guys come together and, and come up with ideas uh, at the beginning of all this? That's a great question for Azim because we, we know that we're a content show. There's no doubt about that, but we don't just strictly rely on being caller driven. We don't mind phone calls, but I think if we were caller driven, then we really would have struggled trying to find different things to talk about because it can be very easy to say, let's take calls on this. Well, you couldn't really do that because you were going to get the same reception and the same message. This is terrible. When is baseball coming back? When is basketball going to happen? It would have just been the hamster on the wheel when it comes to something like that. So we had a meeting as a show. I think everybody had a major meeting or got emails from the bosses and the and people above us. But we all had a meeting within our show unit to say, okay, what are other stories that we can find? And for the first time, we can't just say, okay, live events are going on. We can't do that story. We were able to find different ways to talk about different things. We had coaches talking about how they would deal with the pandemic and what they said to their players when the NCAA turn was not going to happen. We have football coaches on how they would deal with the pandemic. One of my favorite interviews during that time was Ken Niamatololo, the Navy head coach, and having those conversations with his players because, because he said, for a lot of guys, if we don't have football, then their last year playing football was going to be in 2019. And you have to have those conversations with everybody on your football team. And he was very eloquent in talking about how difficult that was saying, hey, hey, we don't have football this year. Then we're not going to be back to 2021. He says that is not the easiest thing to tell somebody who has worked so hard in the offseason that there's not going to be a season for them. I'll never forget. We had Kirk Herbstreit on, and he was really worried that we were not going to have college football because he said, I don't think people understand exactly how serious this is when it comes to the pandemic. And he got crucified by so many people saying, how can you say such a thing? Then not even two weeks later, when the NCAA said, we don't know if we're going to have football, we really got to think about that. Then all of a sudden, people laying off Kirk Herbstreit. We were able to find so many different ways to be pandemic-related, but also to not try to fool people because we didn't know exactly when that light was going to be there at the end of the tunnel when it comes to either sports coming back or sports starting up, whether it was Major League Baseball, college football, or the National Football League. That's, that's so crazy. And, you know, because of the way this – pandemic is being handled you know there are a lot of politicians involved and you know a yep. republican in one state democrat in another and you kind of have to talk about hey this is how one state's handling it and this is how another state's handling it and political lines are a part of that and of course we saw what happened in the summer uh with the uh, uh george floyd incident and that became a big deal and a lot of athletes wanted to get involved and as people involved in the media you have to really discuss that. especially when there wasn't a lot going on at the time um, yeah. I wanted to ask you, because I'm sure you, you've heard this many times. I'm sure your colleagues, anyone in, in the media, I've heard this too, you know, stick to sports. All right. Like I don't, I don't tune into ESPN radio to listen to you talk about this. Like, I'm sure you've heard that. Yeah. How did you try to talk about those subjects, the, the pandemic and uh, the black lives matter movement, but also try to make sure this is something sports fans listening can be able to connect to and, and understand, Hey, this is important. It needs to be discussed because you have to start from a sports bent. There's no doubt about that because everything was really intertwined 
and connected. When the players in the NBA playoffs decided to set out for that basketball game because of what happened, a lot of people are saying, well, you guys aren't talking about sports. Well, yeah, we are, because people need to realize athletes are just like you. We don't have robots out there. We don't have athlete rovers running around playing sports and being a part of sports. They bleed blood just like you. They are red-blooded people just like you. They're going to have feelings and emotions about current events just like you. I've never understood, Farzine, how people would tell athletes to stick to sports because I would go to somebody and say, what do you do for a living? I'm a construction worker. How about you stick to that? And that would be a whole different argument because I don't have to do that. Well, you can't say that you can't tell me what you should talk about or how you should feel about things and explain that or put it out there. You can't have that kind of reaction when you're telling somebody else to stick to sports because I threw that at politicians. We had a couple of politicians on our show that said athletes need to worry about sports. And I said, okay, the next time you go to a ball game, don't, don't gas for free tickets then. Well, you know, I'm a congressman. No, this is you saying stick to sports, then you stick to what you know. Then don't go to a team and ask for sports. Special privileges because you're a congressman. If you're going to have athletes stick to sports, then you stick to politics. And it made them think a little bit more to say, you know what? I have no right to tell them to do that. I said, exactly, because I would not tell you to stick to politics if your favorite team is going for a championship. You wouldn't want anybody to do that. So we were always going to start, Farzine, from a sports bent. But so many things were able to just blur those lines where you have to have sports on one side and real life on the other. If anything, people realize Sports and real life can be intertwined together, and you shouldn't expect one to be existing without the other. That's not just how planet Earth works. And so that was our baseline, that if something was athletic and it would involve a social issue or involve the real life issue, we'd have been fools to not talk about that, especially with the pandemic going on. And so many athletes worried about their health, their family's health, and what they were going to have to deal with if they contracted COVID-19. Well, you know what's interesting? I, I think that comment of stick to sports only comes if you know if your political lines don't line up with the other person so for there are a couple of ufc fighters who are proud supporters of donald trump and that's their right uh but colby covington specifically uh he hasn't faced a lot of that hey stick to sports but it's like you know uh does it have to be political allegiance at the end of the day you know can an athlete not do this and by the way you know a lot of athletes talk about movies some of them stream video games uh on twitch or youtube wherever but they're not told stick to sports then i i, I kind of find that right. interesting it's like it's only brought up only when there's a political disagreement you know why far as because so many people want to push an agenda and it's easy to push an agenda against athletes because they weren't used to these kind of things happening before to this level and welcome to the 21st century. Awaken thy mind from that standpoint, because more than ever before, athletes, whether they're male, female, in college or in the pros, if something has galvanized them, something is close to their heart, they're not just going to stand on the sidelines. They're not just going to sit back and not say anything. And you're exactly right. You can support whoever you want to, but you can't use that tack with me to say, well, I can say what I want because I support this person and you're wrong for supporting the other person. You can't have it both ways, my friend, from that standpoint. If you're going to put that out there, then you better expect blowback. And if you can't deal with that blowback, then that becomes a you problem, not somebody else. But when you have people pushing an agenda and they don't mind pushing an agenda, those are usually the kind of people that you can't have a conversation with. They're not interested in hearing your side or any other side. They just want to push their side to the middle of the table and they don't want anybody else's side to be heard and to me that's not what a conversation is supposed to be about you can have a nuanced dialogue but you should be able to listen you don't have to agree with it but at least give a person a chance to be heard because 
I know how that would go on the other side if somebody dismissed them. They were raised holy, you know what, Farzim? Oh, I, I deserve to be heard. Well, if you deserve to be heard, then that other person deserves to be heard as well. You can't have it your way at the expense of somebody else and think that's the only way things can get done or that things can be accomplished. I wanted to ask you uh, something uh, about ESPN that's come out the last couple of years, and that's ESPN Plus. And I think it's an exciting streaming service. I think, you know, it'll make, it, they'll make improvements along the way. It's also come with a lot of criticism. I mentioned I'm a huge UFC fan. Um, as a UFC fan, I, you know, I don't like the idea that I have to pay monthly and then on top of that pay another fee for the pay-per-view. But we're, we are gradually moving in that direction. And I bring this up because uh, here in the Midwest, with it being Big 12 country, there have been some Big 12 games that have been exclusive on ESPN+. And Kansas Jayhawks, and, and look, KU basketball is a huge deal. KU basketball fans are not happy about that. We just heard uh, the NFL deal. Uh, they're going to have Thursday Night Football on Prime. Uh, it is starting in 2024. Now, I want to be careful with this. They mentioned a partnership. They're leaving DirecTV for ESPN+. But I don't think there's any uh, guarantee what's happening with Sunday Ticket. But the speculation right. is it will go to ESPN+. And there were a lot of complaints about that. Can you kind of give your perspective? And, and look, I know you're with ESPN, and, and I'm sure you know you have a lot of good things to say about the, the service, but we are gradually moving in that direction where there's going to be a lot of sporting events that will be maybe one day exclusively available through streaming. Yeah, it's a different kind of pay-per-view, Farzine, to be honest with you, because growing up, if you wanted to watch a big-time boxing bout, or even when WrestleMania became really, really popular, yeah. they went away from terrestrial. They went away from free TV and that you had to go someplace and watch it. And more than ever before, so many people having the ability to stream, whether it's on your computer, whether it's on your phone, whether it's on your tablet, especially when you come to the younger crowd, you can't just stay stayed for lack of a better term. But I don't think you should totally dismiss the people that have helped make your brand, that have helped make your partnership with when it comes to sports fans. And it doesn't matter if it's ESPN or anybody else. But you have to find a way to be ahead of the curve. And this is what plenty of people have been able to do. And I don't like it as well either that people have to pay for these things. But one way or another, you're going to pay for them. Whether you're a cord cutter or if you still keep cable TV, you're going to wind up paying for something some way, somehow. And when you have that kind of exclusive exclusivity that you know that people can go for, find your content, then you're banking on that more people are willing to do that. And instead of spending their money one place, spending their money over there to get the kind of content that they're looking for. It's the same thing with Netflix. It's the same thing with Hulu. It's the same thing with Roku. If you want to find what you want, there are avenues to go get it. But the days of getting it for free, uh-uh. I remember those days growing up as a kid. There was CBS, NBC, PBS, yep. ABC, local, and that was it. You knew where to find stuff. But the world keeps getting bigger and bigger, but you have to try to make sure you don't get too big that you can't connect with people. So I understand the criticism, believe me. I understand where people are coming from, especially you're a Kansas Jayhawks fan. You're thinking all these years, I could watch Kansas on ESPN or CBS on national TV. Why should I pay for certain games? Well, this is a different way of what I call pay-per-view. And if you think about it, Farzine, it's a different way in terms of having the person in the building. If you want to pay money for a ticket to go see a Kansas basketball game, you're going to pay to see that. If you want to see Kansas basketball, unless you know somebody, you can't get in those games for free. You're paying to see them anyway. It's just a different way of trying to, let's call it as it is, trying to make sure that your money line is going to stay solvent and it's going to be a better money line than ever it was before, especially in the 21st century with so much technology being around that people can hide, have any different avenue to find exactly who they want to listen to and what they want to watch.
You know, I think one big criticism, and I can't really debunk this or refute this. I can understand the complaint. I'm sure you heard the news this week. Um, I don't know. Are, are you a big fan of Marvel movies? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I'm sure you heard the news that Disney Plus, they're going to give you the option to uh, stream Black, Wid- uh, Black Widow for $30. And I think they did this with Mulan. We saw Prime do this with the second Borat movie. HBO Max has taken advantage of this opportunity to allow some new movies to be available through their streaming service. The complaint a lot of people have is they have to now, if they want to get all these great shows that a lot, which a lot of them are only available through streaming. Now they have to go to Netflix and Disney plus ESPN plus HBO max and Disney, whatever. Like I I just named five right there. You know, people are are starting to pay a lot more for uh, streaming services alone. And I think that's the complaint some people have. And I think the other thing is too, some people don't have a good Wi-Fi, and I think there needs to be a discussion about, hey, I think this is a good time to start talking about better Wi-Fi services too. Uh, What's your reaction to that? Everything you just said, because more than ever before, if you can't adjust or adapt, then companies are not going to wait for you to do that when other people are willing to do that. And it's a very unfair thing to say, but as my dad told me a long time ago, Farzine, life ain't fair. There's going to be plenty of things that happen that you wanted the way you wanted that are not going to happen. And especially when it comes to, you were so used to either going to the movies and watching a great movie, or you would wait for it to come on cable, or you would wait for it to come on free TV or whatever cable service, whatever TV service that you have. More than ever before, because streaming has become so paramount, especially with younger people, especially younger people from the ages of 12 to 30 to 34. Those are the people that you're going to hope that you carry over. That's going to allow you to continue to be the business to have the business brand that you're looking for, especially when it comes to the bottom line. Of course, the bottom line is going to be money. So I completely understand the complaints. And I'll, I'll use this as an example. One of my friends runs WCBS radio in New York City. For the longest time, they were a golden oldies station. And I'll never get the conversation. He said, at a certain point, I'm going to have to change this format. And I go, why? Because the format works great. He goes, yes. But the audience keeps getting older and the music keeps getting older. The music is still going to be there. But the people coming up, that music is too old for them. So I listened to that and said, that was his way of saying, at a certain point, we're going to adapt. Farzee, not even five years later, they changed from, we played your favorite oldies to New York's greatest hits. They started playing stuff in the 70s and the 80s and early 90s because they had to play that to adjust. The older audience is no longer that older audience that he had before that made WCBS great. He was able to adapt. It's the same thing now. The older audience, we know this to be true. They're always going to be treated as a stepchild by networks and everybody else because the older they get, they are comfortable with things from before. Very rarely you have somebody past the age of 55, 65, 70 that wants to be involved in new technology. But if you're going to be a company, a company, you got to go where the young people are, where the younger people are. And this is what this is all about, whether it's us, whether it's CBS, whether it's HBO Max. It's all about making sure that the younger you get, then you can bring them along with you and bring other younger people with you and continue to adapt to what the changing landscape is always going to be. Uh, we mentioned earlier, you've been with ESPN for so long now, uh, since 2004. Is there a memory that really sticks out to you, uh, just having uh, been in the in the company, or, or maybe a, a story that you cover that you really just enjoyed the most? I tell you what, I still, I still go back to the first day that I was able to walk into the building just for an audition. And I said to myself, Farzine, 
I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm ahead of 99.9% of the earth that may never get a chance like this yeah. to be a part of a company like this, to be a part of an iconic company like this when it comes to ESPN and ESPN radio. So I, that still holds on to me. That still has a hold in me. And no matter who I've had a chance to talk to, whatever experience I've had a chance to be a part of on the radio or TV side, I still go back to that day one, that first Saturday in May, having a chance to be in the building to audition, to be a part of this monolith that has become ESPN and continues to be that way. And I remember sitting down in the building, I get there and I meet John Seibel, who at that time was part of game night. Sean Salisbury is a part of game night. And Dave Zaslowski yeah. was the program director in charge of that. And I realized that the audition was not going to be in a booth. It was going to be live on the air on national radio. And I said to myself, well, this is different. Yeah. And I even asked Dave Zaslowski, why do you do things this? Well, we pretty much know that if you're going to be a part of this, you can figure it out early on then we know we got somebody that is going to be right for this position or not right for this position. And what better way to do that than just throw you right into the fire to see if you're going to get burned or if you're going to be able to burn the fire yourself. So I never forgot that. And I said to myself, man, no matter what happens, I get a chance to do this on a national level, even if it's only for one night. And so I always go back to that first day of being able to have that audition not knowing where it was going to lead or if I was able to pass the audition, how long it was going to continue to be a part of my life. But here we are almost 17 years later, based on that first day of trampolining off of that and deal with everything that has been a part of ESPN radio, whether it's been good, bad, whatever that is. You know, we've got two sports talk radio shows in Kansas city and you know, it's really the Chiefs and Royals in terms of pro teams go, yes, we do have Sporting KC, but they don't get a lot of coverage. Maybe they interview a player here and there or the coach, but they don't ever dive deep into soccer talk. Uh, so you got the Chiefs and Royals, and then you you got some of the local college teams, Kansas, Kansas State, and Missouri. Um, so you don't get a lot of NBA talk here. You don't get a lot of NHL talk here. Whereas on the national scene, you have to really be able to cover uh, or, or yeah. maybe not cover everything, but yeah, you do have to pay attention to all of these sports and it can be a lot sometimes. And baseball is an everyday sport with 30 teams playing almost every day. Uh, as a sports talk radio host on the national level, how do you try to manage all of that and try to follow all of these sports leagues? One of the things I do, I, I'm a voracious reader, so I'm looking up everything as I, as much as I possibly can for our scene, but I want to make sure that I don't have too much paralysis by over analysis because it can be very easy and then things get jumbled in your mind then you sound like a, a, a babbling buffoon trying to get it out of your mouth trying to convey that in that information so i want to concentrate okay what are the things that people are thinking about that are at the top of the mind awareness whether it's deshaun watson and that court case going down in houston texas with the yeah. texas quarterback the ncw tournament march madness dude, how is it different when we did not have it last year, can, will people continue to watch the Cinderella stories that are part of the NCAA tournament now when it comes to Loyola and Oral Roberts? So those are different things that we've been able to, okay, the NHL, Gary Bettman said this, we think he's wrong. Or that referee, what he said about got to get them a penalty. You try to find those things that people have a quick turn your head moment around and then you're able to say, I can't believe he said that. Or man, that referee said what a lot of referees have said before. He just got busted saying it into an open mic from that standpoint. So that's how we're able to try to take a bite of the apple. If I can use that term for where you find the things, okay, that's okay. Everybody has an interest in that, or everybody's thinking about that, or they may not know about this part of the story. You find those storylines, you make that work and whatever else is out there, you say, by the way, boom, boom, boom. So, 
that's how we have our preparation to where we can cover so many different things in a four hour show where it seems like we know everything, but a lot of it is okay, the same, just in a different way, telling it in a different way, telling a different story. By the way, uh, just to uh, check, you're on from, on most nights, because I know sometimes ESPN radio will air a basketball game and whatnot. You're on most nights from 9 p.m. to 1 a.m. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. What is that like? Because, and listen, I'd rather do, you know, uh, late night rather than early in the morning. I think a lot of people would. Um, what is that like doing late night talk radio? Because most of the games uh, are over by that time. So it gives you an opportunity to react to whatever you want to, whatever the biggest thing was from that night, uh, whether it's a baseball game, a basketball game. Uh, what is it like doing late night talk radio? Oh man, Farzine, I love it. I love being in the middle of the action because it's very easy to react to something where you've had a chance to have six, seven, eight hours to have a chance to formulate an opinion. I love when things happen like a hundred miles an hour and you got to be in on it right away. It is so much fun because that's why I call it the electric circus. It feels like a three ring circus when we do our radio show and plenty of times something will be breaking news and more often than not, it happens on our show. So when everybody's talking about it the next day, we've already covered tomorrow's headlines that night where something has happened and we were able to be the first voices to talk about that. And we've had more than a couple of people, either local affiliates or even producers on on the shows that happen during the day that say plenty of times we'll base our segment on what you and Ian just talked about. That's something that broke on your show that we're able to say, well, I think Freddie's right. I think Freddie's wrong and use that as a talking point or as a starting point for that segment. So I don't want to do any other any other time slot, to be honest with you. Now, if it's offered to me, I'm not going to look away from it. I'm not crazy from that standpoint because you got to look at everything and think of how much value is that going to be to your career, how much that may advance your career, if the possibility is going to be there. But I'm not exactly jumping on tables to say, move our show up to an earlier day part because what we do, we know we have a special skill set to do that. But we also know that our show is very valuable because it sets a table for everything else the next day, because what they're talking about the next day, we've already discussed that more than anybody else. And exactly at that right time, when it comes to 9 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern time, Monday through Friday. Have you ever done overnight sports talk radio before? No, I have not. I've done overnight top 40 and also classic rock radio. I've done that. Okay. Well, I was going to ask because um, I re- do you remember this Sunday night football game a few years ago where uh, the Chiefs were supposed to lose in regulation, but they find a way to tie the game with a two-point conversion, and then with five seconds left in overtime, uh, their kicker at the time, Cairo Santos, he hits the left upright, and everyone in Denver thought mm-hmm. the ball went out, but it actually went inside the uprights. You remember that? Oh, yeah. I, st- I remember I st- that. I still remember, I mean, I couldn't sleep. Like, that was probably the most exciting Chiefs ending I've ever witnessed. I could not sleep. So, a couple hours later, you know, into the night, at 2 or 3 a.m., I'm listening to an overnight host. I think it was on Fox Sports Radio, and he's talking about that game. And I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, my first thought is, having been in sports radio before, when the hell does this guy sleep? Because you 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 know if you're an overnight host, the sleep schedule is not good, and at the same time, you kind of have to be awake to know everything that goes on in the sports world. I, I know you said you've never done overnight, but can you maybe give us a behind the scenes? What does an overnight sports radio host go through to make sure they've got a good quality show, in addition to the craziness they deal with personally that we don't really care or know about? Well, for someone who's done overnight radio on the music side, I'll say this: it definitely can mess with your sleep. Your- there's no doubt about that. 
but there are plenty of times I say it's a beautiful day outside when you wake up about one, two o'clock in the afternoon, you can enjoy the day while people are at work looking outside at the day that's going on. It makes a lot easier, a lot easier to do Christmas shopping because nobody's in the mall at that time. You're able to go get what you want and get out in plenty of time. You wind up adjusting to what that's going to be. And especially working from 9 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern time, I'm usually up by 9, 30, 10 o'clock. So it's not as if I'm sleeping the rest of the day away. I have a chance to formulate my day and what I'm going to do, how I'm going to go about it. And yeah, I incorporate a nap here and there just to make sure I'm properly rested. When it's time for me to go on the radio or go into the studio, I get there about 6, 6.30 and we plot out what our show's going to be. And I hear an idea there, what guests that we are going to bring on or guests that we're going to bring on. But yeah, it does mess with your sleep schedule, no doubt about that, Farzine. But once you get used to it, it's, it's just secondhand from that standpoint. Okay, my show is from midnight to 6, for example. I get home about 6.30. I may not go to bed till about 7, 7.30. I knock out. I wake up about 1, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Then I just go on with my day. So even though it's flipped from what 9 to 5 or 8 to 4, what people work at those hours, that doesn't mean that things are that different. It's just at a different time of the day or a different time of the night that you're operating, whether it's a work schedule or a personal schedule. A couple more questions with uh, Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio here. Uh, you know, I think what's so interesting is, you know, we, we talked about, uh, you know, people in sports don't just stick to sports. They do other things. What do you do uh, when you're not on the air, when you're not watching sports? Uh, what do you do for your downtime for fun? I, I do a lot of reading. I love just reading about everything that can be sports related, but usually I love reading biographies. I love reading list books. For example, I'm reading this book called 1001 Recordings You Should Definitely Listen To by Tom Moon. It's a fascinating book where he covers so many genres, every genre of music from country to classical. And he's such a descriptive and inventive writer. He really describes everything perfectly. His command of the English language is unbelievable. So I've had a chance to read books like that where it can challenge my mind and stimulate my mind. And the more stimulation I get from that, I think that I know that makes me a better radio host. It makes me better able to relate information to people to know exactly what can work, what cannot work. And a lot of times I'm watching on TV, I watch a lot of stuff on PBS. For example, when they had the country music miniseries by Ken Burns, and I don't mind country music, I'm a country music fan, but there's so many different things I found out about the beginnings of country music and knowing more about the Carter family with AP and Mother Maybell and also everybody else, how country music jumped off of that. I love those kind of stories that bring me into a different place where I can say, man, I didn't know about that, or man, I knew about that, but I'm glad they explained it in a different way. So a lot of my downtime is that I try to make sure I work out as much as possible to keep my mind, my body and my spirit sharp. So I'm able to do that five days a week. Me and my wife do a lot of things as well, just hanging out with each other, making sure. So my personal life and my professional life, I'd like to I like the fact I may be able to keep that separate, but they both help each other. If you're in a good spot professionally, Martha and I can be in a good spot personally. But I also friendly believe Farzine, if you're in a great spot personally, you're always going to be in a great spot professionally. So wherever the day takes me, I follow the day. I don't try to dictate the day. I let the day dictate me and make sure I can adjust to that. Last thing I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, you mentioned, you know, 99% of people would love to be in your shoes, being on a 
national sports talk uh, radio station and doing what you do. And I can just tell just from listening to your show, uh, you guys have so much fun doing funny story. You know, I used to work for the Kansas city Royals uh, as uh, their stadium DJ. And then eventually I got to do some of their uh, video to operate the video board and all that good stuff. And because games end at, you know, 10, 10, 15, sometimes uh, I I would go home, listen to you. I think that's what in terms, I I live about 40 minutes away from the stadium. I think that's where I I probably listen to you the most is those drives home from Royals games. So that was always a lot of fun to do. Um, I I was going to ask, you know, a lot of people want to be the voice of their favorite sports team. A lot of people want to be at ESPN radio or Fox sports or any, they want to be at the big stage. And that's certainly natural. It's like a, like an assistant coach. They want to be a head coach one day. Um, What is your advice for someone that wants to get into the mold of sports media and specifically someone that wants to be at that national stage? Because I know it's a long road and the people who are already there, they want to hold on to that spot for a long time. So what is your advice to those people? My advice is to make yourself as versatile as you possibly can be. And I tell people this all this reason, because I, I started in radio, but I learned how to be a program director. I learned how to be a music director. When I started doing a little bit more TV, I learned about how things work behind the scenes when it comes to being a camera person, being a technical director, being an associate director, running a board, those things. The more versatile you can make, the more lucrative it's going to be for you from a professional standpoint, because there won't be anything you can't do. And they, and they'll know there won't be anything that you're unable to try because they know that, okay, that person is really good. At a lot of things we can really place them and make that work for him or her and make that work for us. I would not be where I'm at. If I did, if I just shut it down, just say, I just wanted to do this. I said, I want to try as many things as I possibly could because more often than not Farzine, you may find something that you never thought of and say, man, that's what I want to do. And then it leads you down that path. If you had told me when I first graduated from college back in 1987, I would be doing sports talk radio. I'd have said, uh-uh, I want to be the next great FM DJ. But I'm glad I didn't close my mind to doing something like that because I wanted to learn as much as I possibly could about television, about broadcasting, about radio. Yeah. If I just closed my mind and just stayed thought I should stay on one path, then I would have been very frustrated. Who knows if I would have been in the business as long as I've been able to be in this business since graduating from school back in 1987. So that's the best piece of advice I tell people all the time. Number one, be the best you. Don't be the second best somebody else. And number two, make sure you're as versatile as possible because you may find out, oh man, I didn't even think about that, but I really want to do that. And then I can take your personal professional life and have it grow by leaps and bounds. Freddie, I've always admired your work from afar. Uh, Thank you so much for everything you do, uh, for everything you provide uh, for us listeners. And thanks for coming on, man. Uh, We got to do this again sometime. It was great to finally meet you. Uh, Hope we can do this again sometime. Not a hope. Let's definitely do this again sometime sooner than soon, Farzine. Had a blast and great to have a new friend that I can actually see and not just have to hang out with him on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. I like that. Uh, Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio. Take care, Freddie. We'll keep in touch. You too, brother. Take care. Be well and God bless, my friend. All right. Thanks, Freddie. That is Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio. Big thanks to him joining us here on Farscast. If you like this episode of Farscast, please subscribe, share the podcast links with your friend on social media. Check out other episodes of Farscast. Like I said, Jimmy Chavez was also with me earlier today. So go ahead and check out that podcast. You can listen on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, wherever. You can also check them out on Facebook and YouTube for the video versions of the podcast. Uh, we'll have more podcasts. We'll have more guests next week. Uh, no one lined up yet, but we'll keep working on that. I'm Farzine Vasugian. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Farzcast. Enjoy your weekend. Stay safe. 
Talk to you then. <laughs>